As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to the Andy Staples Show. We haven't done a state of the program in a while, and it's time to do one because... We have a really big program where we had a state of the program story this week, and this program in particular has a lot to do with all of the big playoff news that came out last week. So, of course, we're talking about Notre Dame, everybody's favorite and least favorite program at the same time, and we're joined by Pete Sampson, our intrepid Notre Dame beat writer, who just penned a great Notre Dame state of the program story that led off with a stat that I guess I knew, but still blew my mind when I read it, that it is highly likely that Brian Kelly at at some point this season is going to become the winningest coach in Notre Dame history. Brian Kelly surpassing Newt Rockney. That that just takes a lot to process. If if you're a a Notre Dame fan, if you're not a Notre Dame fan, just if you like college football, that's hard to get your head around, but that is happening this season. That is a that is crazy, but not crazy when you think about it. I mean, Brian Kelly has been there for a lot longer than you realize because he he got the job ahead of the 2010 season. So this is season number 12 that he's going into. And you know, I before we get into this year's Notre Dame team, Pete, I I think we should acknowledge the two distinct eras of Brian Kelly at Notre Dame because it it does feel like it's two tenures. It's it's through uh, through 2016 and after 2016. And the tenure after 2016, I got to be honest, it's one of the best coaching jobs you've ever seen. I mean, how many times in this sport do we see a coach get dragged that badly and have to coach for his job the next year and not, not only come out the other side of that, but really enhance his reputation, enhance his resume? Uh, it's... It has been really impressive to watch. And that's, I mean, that's kind of one of the most interesting things about Notre Dame this year is last year felt like the end of a cycle for Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. Quarterback out, offensive line out, Clark Lee defensive coordinator out. So there, this is a kind of a reinvention job again. Not as dramatic as 2017, but still substantial. And I, I think that's that's one of the reasons Notre Dame is so interesting this year outside of, you know, can they go back to the playoff or not? I'm, I don't think Brian Kelly's had this many questions about his team 
when it's been good, when it's been winning as he has right now. Well, and yes, and, and the playoff thing's interesting because they made the playoff last year probably because they were in the ACC. You know, I, I'm not sure if that team makes the playoff if it's a normal season and they play Notre Dame's planned schedule that year. But the, the benefit of being in the ACC that year and playing an ACC schedule is you can lose a game and make the playoff, and they did. Yeah, and it's I mean it's interesting to sort of retrofit that to how that season went because they would have played Clemson anyway. Like that in a normal right. schedule, Clemson still comes to Notre Dame. And in that and that Trevor dynamic, Lawrence have COVID. Yeah. <laughs> probably not. Um, you know, so do they finish eleven and one? Is that good enough? I don't know. Uh I don't know if the if the loss was to Wisconsin at Lambeau Field, um, if the loss was to USC or if, they ran in certainly if the loss was Trevor Lawrence full strength Clemson in November, then you would think probably not. But, you know, they they sort of found a way to scramble together. I mean, the win at North Carolina was impressive. Clemson is still very, very good, uh, the version that they beat, but you saw how much better they could be at full strength in Charlotte. So it was it was kind of one of those somebody had to be the fourth seed. Texas AM will tell you it should have been them, but Notre Dame was undefeated going to championship weekend. They played in a conference championship game. And for the first time and the only time they will stick their chest out and see and say, see this, we should be included because of this. Well, and before we, I know I keep pushing this back, but before we get into the granular details of, of the Notre Dame team in 2021, we should talk about big picture Notre Dame and the playoff and everything else, because you, know, you and I have had this discussion a million times. My, my contention is Notre Dame happily and willingly traded the fact that they would have to be 12 and 0 to make the playoff for their independence for their continued independence but as of last week the announcement we heard Jack Swarbrick the AD at Notre Dame was involved in this decision making process starting in 2023 I don't think Notre Dame has to be undefeated to make the playoff anymore in fact I think a 10 and 2 Notre Dame can make the playoff in the 12 team era but the trade-off now is you can never be one of the top four seeds because you cannot be a conference champion. Yeah, and I, I think Notre Dame fans at first were like aghast at that. They're like, how did Swarbrick just sort of like mortgage Notre Dame's chance at a, a winning a national championship down the road? And it's a it's a harder path. I mean, they're they're gonna have to win the 5-12 game and then not go on the road in the quarterfinals, but play a team that I think people started, you you look into the details more. You're not playing the fourth best team if you're the five seed. You're playing the fourth highest rated champion. So that is not always the, I think, the tall order that it would appear. Right. They may, not if they're getting, the five, they may be playing somebody better or somebody worse Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Like the SEC number two is probably the six or seven seed at that point. That's not who you're playing in the quarterfinals if you're Notre Dame. So it's, yeah, it's a trickier path. They already had a really hard path. Um in the playoff when if you got to beat Clemson and Alabama, or you got to beat Ohio state and Clemson or some combination of those, like that's not changing. Uh, but instead you get more access. Notre Dame would have made it in 2015. Certainly they would have made it in 2012. And like, even you go back to the Charlie Weiss days, the Brady Quinn junior senior years, that's a playoff team. Even Tyrone Willingham's first season would have been a playoff team. So a lot more opportunity, um, you know, to, to host a home game in December. 
I know it's cold here. Some people are concerned about that. Uh, I can tell you Notre Dame fans are not. Um, Notre Dame players are not. <laughs> they can uh, handle it, yeah. There's, there, there, are, there are more pluses than there are minuses, but it was not a – I never I didn't describe this deal as a home run for Notre Dame. You know, it's a triple, and I think Notre Dame can live with that. It's a stand-up triple because the, yeah. there is one other fringe benefit that you and I were talking about before we started recording, and this is one that, that had not crossed my mind until you brought it up. But the pressure to join the ACC in football is gone because Notre Dame can make the playoff pretty much every year now. And before, you know, if Notre Dame went a while without making the playoff, there, were, there would have been a drumbeat in some quarters like, hey, you, you need to join the ACC in football. And the ACC was going to put – I mean, Jim Phillips – like the, the the principal part of his job right now is try to convince Notre Dame to join in football, even though they don't want to. But now they do not have to. They will never have to. They are completely comfortable on their own now because the the access point. I mean, you, you talk to ads. I talk to ads around the ACC, and I'm always fascinated to sort of pick their brain on like, all right, tell me why Notre Dame would join. You can't get answers like. Don't, nobody can give you a good reason why Notre Dame would do it. It's like, well, it's it's sort of like liar, liar. Like yes. it, when he when he goes because it would be devastating in my case. Like yeah. th- their answer yeah. really is, they would join because we need them for money. Yeah, it's like, well, they have access to the national championship of football. Check. Like now, enhance. That's an enhanced check. Uh, they have a TV deal for their home games. NBC is not going anywhere, and their Olympic sports. And like, if the ACC really wanted to be vindictive about it, they'd be like, all right we're done with you men's women's basketball and baseball. Like <laughs> that would, that would be fairly do petty. That. Um, I don't think they're going to do that. Cause I, mean, I think last year did, did show you there's a pretty good partnership between the league and Notre Dame. I don't think that's going to deteriorate. Well, let's Jim not Phillips. forget those, there's five games a year that Notre Dame plays ACC good inventory. And when, when they go to the ACC schools campus and the ACC can put that on the ACC network. Yes. Yeah. Money to be made. It is, it, and that's the thing, you know, it, it does feel like Jack Swarbrick on the, like, the, at first glance, you're like, what is he doing? And you're like, oh, that's what he's doing. <laughs> a little bit of a, lo- there's a longer game than how do we make the path to a national championship as easy as possible? Because, like, you can't legislate your roster to be closer to Alabama or Clemson or Ohio State, like, That's a Brian Kelly problem to solve, not a playoff expansion problem to solve. We'll be right back after these words. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. 
Well, I keep promising we're going to get to the 2021 team, and this is <laughs> this is the part where we do it, where we transition from that talk of Brian Kelly, you know, post 2016. And I think one of the the hallmarks of Notre Dame post-2016 is they are a more talented roster. They have recruited better. They are deeper. They they theoretically should be sort of weatherproofed against the horrible down year after you had a good senior class leave. And now we're going to find out if that's true. Yeah. I mean, to me, the Brian Kelly stats, these are not sexy at all. And Notre Dame fans, I think, sort of get upset when you bring them up. They've won 32 straight against unranked opponents, third longest streak in the country. They've won 24 straight at home. To me, that those are hallmarks of well-coached, talented, deep, upset-proof. Does that mean you're good enough to beat Clemson regularly or Ohio State? No, but it means you won 10 games again and again and again. If those two streaks survive this year, the unranked teams in the home winning streak, Notre Dame will have to be 11 and one at that point. So it's um, Brian Kelly's done a really good job of just sort of making Notre Dame a consistent winner every week. They have, and when they do play down or they struggle against Virginia Tech two years ago, uh, they figure out a way to, to pull that out. That's to me, the big question is like, do they have the Ian book to pull it out? Do they have the offensive line that can grind you down into the fourth quarter to pull it out? I that's, that's the big question for Notre Dame is like, do they have to change their identity a little bit just because the, the pieces are different? And and Notre Dame, not typically a transfer portal school because of this, their admission standards are obviously high. The, the ac- academic standards there are high, but they've got a graduate transfer quarterback in Jack Cohn, who everybody remembers from Wisconsin. And, you know, Jack Cohn gets beat out by Graham Mertz. Now Jack Cohn's available. And so, Jack Cohn sure seems like the the opening day starter. The question is, is he the the permanent starter for the year? Because it, it sounds like there's some a lot of excitement around Tyler Buckner coming in. There, there's no question. Buckner, four star kid out of San Diego, um, you know, kind of a circuitous path just with Torres ACL as a as a sophomore in high school. Played his junior year was great. Uh, I went to see him play. It was just. I mean, it was like a video game. He was playing against like, looked like five foot 10, 120 pound kids in private school leagues in La Jolla, California, but it was still fun to watch and senior year wiped out by COVID. So I think Notre Dame was hopeful that they would see some of the reason they recruited him so hard in spring ball. And they saw some flashes early, but then it really turned on late. And I know Notre Dame is open to a package for him to play this year. Um, is he going to beat out Jack Cohn? No, but they think he is good enough to help them win this year. And the the sort of benefit long-term is that like, oh, your first start is at Ohio State in 2022. Let's get you some reps now. Um, yeah. So I, I think that is, that's the ideal scenario. Jack Cohn is a bridge to Tyler Buckner, um, but that you're, you're building that bridge throughout this season. You don't wait to start at, after this year. Well, and, and the line is the other big question because obviously, you know, Notre Dame has been known for great offensive lines in the last few years. And so they have good backs. They have Michael Meyer, who is going to be the tight end that everybody's excited about probably for the next two years, you know, until he's draft eligible. And so I, it feels like if that line can be as good as some of these Notre Dame lines have been, 
that makes that bridge and that transition all that much easier. I think Notre Dame taking a grad transfer on the offensive line tells you how they felt about that group. So they, they take Can, Kane Madden for Marshall. He was a second team All-American. Um, like th- that's a nice addition. But for Notre Dame, like Notre Dame, I understand when they, when they take DB corner grad transfers or receiver trans- positions where they don't recruit very well, that makes that makes a lot of sense. To take one on the offensive line, I think, is a little bit of a warning light about what that group is going to be this year. You could start a true but, freshman but, at left tackle and Blake Fisher. This is a up. really good player that they took, though. That's that's yeah, the thing. That's, I mean, um, yeah, it's not somebody that you would think twice about taking. Um, however, you know, if it was a year ago, I don't think they would have taken him because um, they would have right. felt that good about what they had. Uh, but this is just sort of a, a line in transition. So they're, they will have one returning starter in Jared Patterson, but he started at center last year. He may move to guard, could play tackle. So it's there's a almost a 100% certainty that they will have zero returning starters in the in the position they started last year at Notre Dame. So it's is 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 Blake Fisher going to to play left tackle or or is that still up in there? He's no, a, he's he, a freshman. All spring he played left tackle and he was running with the ones after a week. So there there was wow. It was a shocker to see that. I mean, you knew he was good. I went and saw him play in high school. You know, but there are plenty of big dudes in high school recruiting. Yeah. Um, and there are plenty of there are fewer big dudes with good feet, but they're they're not unheard of. He's one of those guys. Um, and he was doing a very solid I I mean, he was shutting down Isaiah Foskey, who's supposed to be their their top rush end. And that was a matchup you thought he would get shoved around in. So that it was an eye opener for sure. Well, and especially that spot, because Liam Eikenberg is the lowest drafted player in that spot in a while. And he got drafted in the second round. Broke my favorite Brian Kelly streak, where if Eikenberg had gone in the first round, Brian Kelly would have had a first round pick at left tackle in every game he had coached at Notre Dame, but two. Because (laughs) because Zach Zach Martin started tackle in two games. That is incredible. Yeah. But, but that's, I mean, that, that tells you where they've been at. Now, Harry, Harry Heaston has been gone for a year and a half now, right? He, he left yeah, for the Bears two, after the yeah, two full seasons season. now. Yeah. So, so see. It, but it does feel like they've, they've managed to, to recruit at a high level still there. Yeah, they have. And it's, it's three seasons because Jeff Quinn's first year was the 2018. That was when they, that's the, right. That's the right. Quentin Nelson, Mike McGlinchey group left, but they, they have recruited well. Um, and I, I don't think Notre Dame to me, the, the thing with Notre Dame offensive line recruiting and development is like Notre Dame can't afford to be great on the offensive line. It has to be like Joe Moore award-winning all the time because they're, they're not going to have the receivers that Alabama has or LSU has like they, they their identity has to be where's a position we where we can get smart kids from the Midwest um, who are big offensive linemen. I mean, and that that suits Notre Dame perfectly. The, the sound you hear is Barry Alvarez nodding, yeah. by the way. Yeah, he's like, oh, yes, yes, we do that, too. It uh, I mean, that's got to be their identity. You know, th- they have to get better on the outside. They have to get faster on the outside. But. Their offensive line, to me, it's like when Notre Dame is, if they're going to be great, if they're going to actually win a game in the playoff, they're they are going to have to ha- be the best offensive line on the field by far. Um, and that, while that was the case in Clemson Part 1, it was not the case, case in Clemson Part 2 and certainly wasn't the case against Alabama. So it's 
this 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 is a line that I think is going to grow into being a great line. Can they be a great line in 2021? That's I'm not so certain about that. Well, and that's the part that that is interesting because Ian Book that I, I'm wondering how much will people will people appreciate Ian Book more now that he's gone than they did his final year there. I I think that Ian Book the fans finally came around to him in November of last year after they beat Clemson and then they went on the road at North Carolina played really well. Uh, I think people sort of got it. They just like, all right, for a guy that was sort of analyzed in terms of what he was not, people started to see him for what he was. Um, so I think that people know how good he is. I think the, but he's, he's the one I keep telling the NFL people like he's with Sean Payton. Yeah. And if Jameis throws a million interceptions, Ian Book maybe the starting quarterback for the Saints by the end of the year. The, like, the, quarter, that's the quarterback that is going to be on Notre Dame fans' minds, I think, this season won't be Ian Book. It'll be Phil Dracovic. Um, that's yes. that will be the oh, one that I think Notre Dame fans are going to have. A he hard was time. great at BC last year, and and they are expecting. I talked to somebody at BC last week. They are expecting huge things from him this year. Yeah. So it's and I think Jack Cohn is he's sort of he's also the guy before the guy. Like Tyler Buckner is supposed to be the guy. And so there will be, especially if Notre Dame loses a game early, sort of this clock in the fans' minds of like, all right, let's let's see what Buckner can do, not just because now, but because of what they they have Ohio State and Clemson home and home in 22, 22 and twenty three. So Oof. you've got to have elite quarterback play to win in those kind of setups, and that's that's I think what the Notre Dame needs Buckner to be. Well, that's what I, I feel like this schedule. It's not easy. I, there, there are very few easy Notre Dame schedules. This one is deceptively tough in spots. Like, we don't know what USC is going to be. But having USC and North Carolina back-to-back is not easy in, by any stretch of the imagination. Cincinnati and Wisconsin back-to-back is... Exactly. You know, maybe not, you know, the USC brand name and, you know, Sam Howell and all that is like, that's that's probably, those are sexier games, but... Cincinnati coming to Notre Dame. Cincinnati might be the best team they play. Yeah. You know, we got the Marcus Freeman dynamics, the Brian Kelly dynamics. Um, There's just, there's, there's a lot to that one. Um, So it's, it's kind of one of those schedules where I I think they, they may play six, seven teams that finish eight and four or better. Uh, It's hard to, if, and it's kind of, they'll play teams that are good enough or if Notre Dame is off, they'll lose. Yeah. I think they when they've been off in the last few years, they've run into a team that was like six and six, like a bad Virginia yeah. Tech team. Um, this is a schedule where I think if if you're off a little bit, that's when your home winning streak uh, comes to an end, and that's that's how you sort of end up in a ten and two or maybe a touch worse. Yeah, and that that's ten and two ain't bad. No, as we discussed, would, I think that'd be a very good season. I mean, to me, the benchmark for in a couple of years, that gets you in the playoff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like every, everything is about the playoff all the time. And I get it. But if Notre Dame went 10 and two, went to a new year, six game and won, they haven't won a new year, six game since the 93 season. That would be a really good season. Yeah. And that's the thing I, I, you know, they've gotten to the point where if they get into a new year, six game, you're not thinking it. You're not thinking about it like you were when it was Charlie Weiss and Brady Quinn going to play in one of those. Like, yeah. it feels it feels like Notre Dame would come into a game like that favored, or or because, at least a toss up. 
the teams that they drew in those New Year's Six games were would have been in the playoff, the fourteen playoff. Correct. That was Jamarcus Russell, LSU, and I think it was Ted Ginn, Santonio Holmes, Anthony yeah, Gonzalez. Pretty good Ohio State Ohio team. State. Yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, they they always drew the team that was third or fourth back in back in the the BCS days. Now those teams are in the playoffs, so I think Notre Dame would have you know a much better chance to to go out and win that kind of game. And not to keep spinning this forward, but it actually could look a little like what a playoff matchup involving Notre Dame could look like in two or three years. Yeah, I think it would be sort of a, a quarterfinal level game, just without the stakes of it being a quarterfinal. Um, you know, it's, to me, that's one of the things about the playoff expansion that baffles me. It's like, shouldn't we all like look at this and be like, you're taking the same game, but making it mean a hell of a lot more. And like, that's good. Like, that's what we want. Like, I, it, well, like, Notre but, Dame could run don't into think that way. Yeah. It's just like Notre Dame could run into, let's say they run into Florida in a New Year's Six game. If I'm Kyle Hamilton, I'm like, eh, yeah, I think I'm out. I'm, I'm going to go train right. for the pros. You could, you could be like all of Florida stars last right. year. If yeah. you're Kyle Hamilton and you run into Florida in the quarterfinals, let's go. You strap it up, yeah, you play. That's right. um, so it just it makes everything better. Um, but yeah, it's I think for Notre Dame, it's just like get the New Year's Six streak out of the way, win ten games for the fifth straight season. Very very good year. Yeah, and and that's the thing. I mean, I think it would prove kind of the point we were trying to make that that they are deeper, that they are recruiting at a level that sustains itself. And I think that's that's been the big question about Notre Dame. As the game has changed, you know, could they ever keep that kind of depth on the roster? And we're going to find out. Yeah, and it's like the fact that nine and three would be a, a pretty big disappointment. And you look at Brian Kelly, you're mentioning sort of the first phase of Brian Kelly. Those were eight and five, seven and right. five, you would have 12 ex- and 0, yeah, you would expect that. Four. Yeah. I mean, it's like the year after they they went to the national title game and got blown up by Alabama that team went to the pinstripe bowl um Notre Dame's not going to the pinstripe bowl anymore uh and so that's i think they they've gotten to a point where they they have the development piece down they have that figured out their strength program is in a very good spot the recruiting has been better that is the big question moving forward if they can take it up another level um but they're just in a they're in a good spot where expecting to win 10 games every year is is normal like that that's a normal expectation level around here we'll be right back after this message from one of our lovely sponsors so give us a couple names whether it's a freshman or somebody who's been waiting their turn behind a, a, a draftable player who are we going to be hearing about a lot in september october well, it's uh, we've already gone over Tyler Buckner. If you hear a lot about him in September, the season definitely has gotten off to a That's weird gonna start. That's going to be a but, very uh, interesting turn, yes. Yeah. Receiver Kevin Austin is the guy. Uh, he has been more of a rumor than anything else the last three years. Suspended, broken foot last year. He is far and away their best receiver. He is, he is a guy that they beat Clemson for in recruiting. So that And that, this was good Clemson. I saw him at the opening where Trevor Lawrence was. Um, and Clemson was going after him pretty hard. They... They need him to be sort of a Chase Claypool, Will Fuller combination type of receiver because they haven't had that. 
was to say those uh, are two very different people. So yeah, so he's like he's shorter than Claypool, he's slower than Fuller, but he's really really good. Um, Put them both yeah. together, and you got yeah. you got a hell of he's a like, receiver. Yeah. He is an NFL. They just haven't had somebody like him. Um, you know, there are guys like him in the SEC all over the place, but they he, they need him to play big defensively. You know, I I think that up front on the defensive line, Isaiah Foskey, I mentioned him earlier, but there's a a kid named Jordan Botello who was a freshman last year, four-star out of Hawaii, a your classic screw-loose type of defensive end. I think he got a roughing the pass or roughing the punter on a – I mean, he almost killed USF's punter last year. um, Oh, no. When the snap was over his head. He's good for a couple roughing the passers, but I think he's he is a terror off the edge and sort of like. But he's getting to the passer before he's he getting him. to the passer. And that's the key. Yes. That's the point. Yes. Yes. Yeah, and that's they have not had sort of the the sort of dynamic one on one pass rusher. I don't think he's going to be great in September, but as the season goes on, he's the guy that I think you will see grow. And if he has a great year, then Marcus Freeman is going to have a really really good defense. Yeah, this is this is just really interesting the the plot lines because you're right. When Marcus Freeman has to go against Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. And that is if we're talking just what we see on paper, the best team they're going to play this season. Like how much of those Cincinnati defenders going to want to kill <laughs> Notre Dame's either grad transfer or freshman quarterback just to say, "Hey, why'd you leave?" Yeah, we'll we'll see uh, if their grad transfer quarterback survives the week earlier when he goes against his old team uh, in Wisconsin. Exactly, so, exactly. But yeah, I mean those dynamics are fascinating. I mean Mike Dembrock is Cincinnati's offensive coordinator, who's a longtime Brian Kelly assistant, yep. uh, a couple tours of duty at Notre Dame. So they're Mike Mickens, Notre Dame's corners coach, came over from Cincinnati two years ago. There are a ton of connections there. So that well, and, yeah. and they open they open on a Sunday night at Florida State, and Florida State has not been good. Florida State's roster is not at the level Notre Dame's roster is at, but we don't know who's going to play quarterback for Florida. Like, what if what if a healthy Mackenzie Milton trots out there? Yeah, like, like the WWE coming out of yeah. style. It's. I mean, look, I would not. I, I realize Florida State is not good. However, if I had a brand new quarterback and a brand new offensive line and a brand new defensive scheme. I would like to try that out at home against Toledo first before going. To I will give you a name to remember. For the, for the Notre Dame folks in the crowd, and his name is Jermaine Johnson. Jermaine Johnson played at Georgia last year. If you watched Last Chance U, the ones in the, at school in Kansas, he was at that school. Uh, he's from Minnesota. So, you know, Notre Dame, like Michael Floyd, they, they like to recruit mm-hmm. out, out in, in the 20, Twin Cities. But So he played at Georgia last year and was good, but wanted to be kind of an every-down player. And this is kind of tells you how deep Georgia is. He was not going to be an every-down player at Georgia he will be at Florida State. He walked on to that campus and immediately became the best player on the roster. A revamped offensive line with new starting tackles is not going to enjoy playing as this gentleman. Yeah, it's. I mean, you can see the moments coming from a mile away here as we talk in June. Like, true freshman Blake Fisher may play well, but it's one bad snap. Jack Cohn gets blown up, and then... Doe Campbell is going nuts uh, on a Sunday night on Labor Day. So it, it, where everyone's sort of back on campus again for the first time. So it's it, – I Notre Dame could win by 28. Um, I could also see that game in the fourth quarter and they're down 10. You're like, what is going on? Right. Uh, 
if but, Florida but State doesn't prove it to be and good, suddenly become fine. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. It, yeah. Uh, it, it just is. A, it it feels like a little bit of a hand grenade type of game if you're Notre Dame. Like you should win it, keep the pin in, but yeah. you could also see some scenarios where it's like, oh, what happened here? And suddenly you're down ten points. Yeah. Now look, Notre Dame should win that game handily, but yes, like you said, you don't know. Because they're going into a situation where they don't know what they're going to see. Because I'm not even sure Florida State knows what they're going to be yet. So it's, yeah, it's I mean, going to be It reminds wild. me like Notre Dame went to Louisville to open on Labor Day weekend two yeah. years ago. And it was That's where we got wild. all confident about Scott Satterfield in a game exactly. when Notre Dame pretty much it dominated was, them. Jawan Pass was playing quarterback. And like Notre Dame's linebackers could not figure out what Tutu Atwell was doing or uh, Javion Hawkins was doing. And it was 14-14. That place was loud. And then Notre Dame was like, wait a minute. And they figured it out and they ran away with the game. I that to me is the most likely outcome of Florida State, but I could just I could just see a very tense first half there where you're like, oh, this doesn't feel good if you're Brian Kelly. Is Notre Dame going to uh gonna have to be the the Sunday, Monday opener for some ACC team every year? I think that's on? gonna be a regular thing moving forward. Um and it, I think Notre Dame is pretty much okay with it as long as they have a group of five coming afterwards. But again, 2022, they open at Columbus. I don't know if they're going to put that on Sunday night. Um, so that's, is, I think if that, that feels like Saturday night at 8 PM yeah, to me yeah, or, we'll or, or big noon Saturday on Fox could be. Um, yeah, that I think pretty much anytime they play an ACC team in opening weekend, you're going to see Notre Dame probably on Sunday night. And it's like, it was, it was a good number when they were at Louisville a couple of years ago. I don't, I don't think Notre Dame minds too much one less day of prep after week one, but um, it, uh, I think it's one of the things like, again, the partnership with the ACC, it's like, they have a, they have a good business relationship. Like Notre Dame knows like, Oh, you gave another team a bye week before us. Okay. That's cool. Um, but you're also not trying to screw us over by forcing us to join the league. So it's, yeah, you know, they they work well together. Yeah. Now we're never joining in football, yeah. <laughs> but you're still welcome for the yeah. money. <laughs> we can still be friends. <laughs> I love it. If if only all complicated relationships could be as friendly as Notre Dame and the ACC. It's uh, I mean, it's one of those things where like, okay, um, neither of us are getting everything we want out of this, but we're both getting a lot. So instead of like tripping over our own egos here, like let's just say this is a good relationship and. You just we'll described the every marriage that lasts. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was one of those things with the college football playoff expansion. I was like, huh, everyone just sort of compromised a little bit here. This is like college football is the ultimate tribal sport where everyone's in it for themselves and themselves only. And yet here we are with this great 12 team field potentially in two years. So I, I applaud college football for uh, look, being able to look, past its own nose yes good good job college football for doing the thing that will triple the payout yeah, exactly <laughs> pete thank you so much this has been very enlightening i now i i i can't wait for notre dame in tallahassee on a on a sunday night I, i'm excited it's gonna be a fun one